Well, Harry, we know you primarily joined us through our online campus, and we're pretty proud of our online experience. Um, but we know the, the early days were pretty rough. Do you remember those early days? Truth be known, no. I don't think I do. Can't remember the early days, that's fine, but uh, you did take issue with something you, you saw. Uh, could you tell us why? Because there were so many gaps and so many holes in it, um, which just didn't add up and didn't make sense. Well, now that you mentioned it, you actually said some pretty nasty things in the comments. Uh, but, you know, we're always trying to get better. Could you give us some specifics to help us? We will openly apologize for anything that we did wrong. But every time we ask that question, no one's telling us the specifics or anything. There needs to be a constructive conversation, one that can happen in private that doesn't get late. Yeah, that's a great idea. You know, let's keep it secret. Let's keep it hush-hush. We don't want anything to get leaked out there. It can get pretty nasty and cutthroat, kind of like Game of Thrones, huh? I don't watch Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game of Thrones. Dumb show. Nobody watches it. But I do know you spent some time in the military. Uh, could have some stories that could be helpful for us at Crossroads. But I was now in the front seat of an Apache, shooting it, flying it, monitoring four radios simultaneously, and being there to save and help anybody that was on the on the ground with a radio screaming we need support we need air support interesting helicopters really i'm not sure listen we'll take some notes we'll give it to our preschool director ashley LeCount. i know you guys spent some time together actually i think the press got a hold of that what did they say about you guys he's changed she must be a witch he's changed a witch do they think she's dangerous are you saying she's dangerous that made her dangerous because of the connections that she was forging within the British press. I'll be honest, Harry. I have no idea what you're talking about. Would you like to end the interview now? I don't even know if it's an option now, but no, I think, would I like to do that now? That's what I'm asking. You know what? Never mind. You never know what you're going to get when you have an interview with Prince Harry and Dustin. You just never know. You never know. More beautiful moments than Oprah moments, though, I think. It's pretty incredible what Dustin was able to accomplish there. Uh, hey, I'm really glad uh, that you are here today and that we're diving into week two of this series called Royals. Uh, at the end of the day, this is all about remembering who you are. And I want you to know today that no matter where you are joining us, guys, we are celebrating our Mishawaka campus today. Let's give it up for Mishawaka. Let's celebrate our St. Pete campus. Uh, let's celebrate everybody joining from Nashville. Um, we had a chance to send a, a few of our team members down to Nashville this week and just celebrate some things that are happening at Crossbridge. And it was great to see everybody in Nashville. You guys, they're doing some incredible stuff. Uh, and after hanging out with them, the theme of the week was it matters. It is changing lives. And we're so happy to be a part of what's happening in Nashville. We're proud of you guys. Keep moving forward. I love it. I love it. Uh, yes, one more round of applause because it is awesome what's happening down in Nashville right now. Now, here's the thing. No matter where you are, uh, no matter who you are, no matter how you've come to experience this moment together, what I'm asking you to do today is just to lean in. And honestly, uh, this will sound weird at first, don't listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. Just don't do it, all right? What I want you to do today is listen to what God is speaking to your heart. Because I believe that God uses moments like these and, and messages that we're going to lean into today to, to meet us each where we are at. And the thing about you and your relationship with Jesus is that only you really knows the condition of your heart. Only you knows where you really stand with God. 
I get a chance to, to stand up here most every week and, and let you know, you know, what God's speaking into my life to help lead you down this path to becoming more like Jesus. And yet at the end of the day, it, it's up to each and every one of us to keep saying yes to Jesus. When he speaks, I, I surrender, I say yes, and I keep moving forward. That's, that's really, I think, the simplest way to define the Christian journey. It's just that heart of surrender. It's me always willing to say yes when Jesus speaks into my life. And I want to encourage you today that we started this series last week talking about our identity. You are a child of God. You are his prized possession. You have been created in his image. And because of that, if, if that's your starting point, if you put your trust in Jesus, you realize that that sets a whole template that, that is a different track for your life than if you don't believe in Jesus. If you think you are just a cosmic accident, that, that it just happened in a big bang and an explosion and that there is no creator God, then your life really ultimately doesn't have purpose. You don't have an eternal destiny and there is no you know, real sense of morality. There's no right or wrong. It's just every person for themselves because we're on this pointless planet for no good reason. But I don't believe that. I believe that Jesus loves me with an extravagant love. I believe that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I want you to know today that if you believe in Jesus, then you believe what his word says about you. You are his child. He loves you with an extravagant love. And I want you to lean into that. Remember who you are. You are not the sum of your failures. You are not just uh, some worthless piece of garbage. No, no, no. That's the lie of the devil. If that's the voice you're listening to, you're listening to the wrong voice. You are created in the image of God. You are his prized possession. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. It says in 1 John chapter 3, what a great love the, that the Father has just showered on us, extravagant love that he has for us, that we should be called his children, and that is what we are. And so I want you to raise your head high today, knowing that you are a child of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are dearly and deeply loved by God. Now, that's where we start. We realize that's my identity. That's who I am. And I want you to own that, run with that. That is who you are. Today, we're talking about something that, that stings a little. It hurts a little. Because while God welcomes us all with his grace, he loves us and there is nothing that we can do about it. He also challenges us with truth. And that means that it requires obedience on our part. When God asks us to step out of our comfort zone, the answer is yes, I, I'm being obedient. When God asks me to lay down something in my life that's a barrier between me and my relationship with him, a hurt, a habit, a hang-up, that, that sin in my life that so easily trips me up, my answer still has to be yes. That's God challenging me with truth. And when you talk about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus, which is really the sum of all the Gospels, the story of Jesus, that's really where it starts in the book of Matthew. He just tells his disciples, hey, follow me, right? Follow me. That, that's what the life of, of following Jesus, it's how, where it begins and where it ends. It's me following Jesus. What does that look like? Well, it's obedience. It's me saying, yes, I'm not going to do life on my terms. God, I'm going to do, do my life on your terms. And sometimes that requires me to say no to my selfish desires and wants, recognizing that God has a better plan for me than I do. Sometimes it's, it's, it's just saying, God, I don't get it. I don't like it. But the answer is yes. It's taking a leap of faith. But at the end of the day, our relationship with Jesus, I think it can be summed up as just being obedient. I mean, there's this word that we throw around, discipleship. What does it mean to be discipled as a follower of Jesus? And I think a lot of times we'd fall into the trap of just thinking, oh, it's just when I read the Bible and I pray, I know things. That's, that's awesome. And listen, it's good to know things. I want you to know things. But just knowing things doesn't make you a great follower of Jesus. 
No, it's, it's putting it into practice in your life. That's how you build the foundation that, that God can build on. That's how you become more like Jesus. You're saying yes to him. You are following him. You are being obedient. And the reason today is so difficult is because I believe that God is challenging all of us to just take a step of obedience today. No matter who you are, no matter what walk of life you're in, no matter where you find yourself, I'm just going to ask you today to listen to the voice of Jesus. And whatever he's asking you to lay down, whatever step he's asking you to take out of your comfort zone today, just may the answer in your heart be yes. May your heart be tender to the things of God. It says in Hebrews, it says in Psalms, it says in Matthew, it says today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Listen to what it is that he's speaking to you. Be willing to say yes. So let's dive in here today. We're talking about my morality. This is the difference between right and wrong. And Jesus, now catch this, this is really important. In John 1, 14, there's a really important verse that just says, we have seen his glory, the glory of Jesus, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And it says two very important things, that he came full of grace and full of truth. Both of, both of those things came in fullness in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And that's significant because Jesus welcomes every single one of us with grace. I'll say it again. God loves you, and there's nothing that you can do about that. Is anybody excited about that today, that he meets us where we're at? I know I need that. I... We have all at one point in our life been desperate for the hope and the love that Jesus has for us. There's, there's no sin too great, no relationship that's too destroyed, no, no past that's just too far gone that you cannot experience the love of God in your life. Jesus came full of grace. But you can't just stay in that place of grace. You can't just say, oh, hey, I encountered Jesus, woohoo, and just go off living your life the same way you used to live it. That, that's actually not the gospel at all. He came full of grace, yes. He's welcoming everyone to do this journey in life through him, to experience hope in a future. That's Jesus, full of grace. That's a free gift offered to every single person on planet Earth. But he also came full of truth. And sometimes we shy away from that, right, because it's uncomfortable. But truth is Jesus speaking life into us. Truth is Jesus showing us a better way. Truth is us recognizing there is right and there is wrong. And I can choose to either continue living life on my own terms and watch that take me down a path I never wanted to go down, or I can say yes to Jesus, keep following him, keep being obedient, and experience life to the full, the life that he created me for, fully experiencing his purpose and his plan for my life. That's the life that you were created for. When you were created in the image of God, that was the intent that he had for you. And sometimes we shy away from that. If you're full of grace, anything goes. If you're full of truth, if your emphasis is too much on truth, you can become legalistic pretty quick. Anybody have any experiences with that? A lot of rules, a lot of regulations. I guess just me. I grew up in a different culture, I guess. Um, but the idea is, here is there's two, swing, two sides of the swinging pendulum, right? Grace and truth and grace and truth. And if you're too far on one end of that, you're going to have, you know, pros and cons. And there's a sweet spot that, honestly, at Crossroads, we, we try our best to stay right in the middle of. It's full of grace and full of truth. And that's a space that's really messy. It's just, it's messy, because we're not perfect, we're all messed up, we all have issues, we all have our hurts, we all have our habits, we all have our hang-ups. And yet I believe it's in that messy middle where we're all on the journey, we're all willing to say yes to Jesus, we're all willing to grow in truth and receive the grace. There's, there's a beautiful mission that, that Jesus has for all of us that, that rests in the fullness of grace and truth. And I want to encourage you today to, to lean into that space. 
Recognize, man, the price that Jesus paid so you could be forgiven and set free, how much he absolutely loves you. And with, with equal intensity and with equal intentionality, recognize the truth that he is calling you toward. Because that's the journey. That's following Jesus. That's what life following him looks like. It's me embracing his truth for my life. And I want to encourage you to lean into that still small voice. And when you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. Lean in and say, yes, when it comes to my morality, here's the challenge today. We have to act like it. I know how I am supposed to live. I think it actually is pretty obvious, but we can lay it out, right? In Galatians 5, uh, Paul writes a pretty extraordinary uh, chapter in the Bible. He lays out, hey, the, the spirit-filled life, the, the life that is, is destined to walk step in step with Jesus is way different than the life that we see when we live for ourselves. And he says the, the life that's filled with sinfulness and selfishness is obvious. It's marked by very obvious things. Uh, you'll see that person who's living life on their own terms and what's their life marked by it's it's anger it's selfishness it's greed it's jealousy it's immorality of all kinds and and that life is far different than the life that God calls us to the life that God calls us to that we are recognized by when we are walking with Jesus that's a life that's marked by love by joy by peace patience <laughs> kindness gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I had to sh I had shuddered there at patience. That's a tough one for me, all right? Just being honest. I like it. I want it now. So that's the life that, that we're called to, right? When we say yes to Jesus, when my life is surrendered to him, that's going to begin to be the fruit of my life. That's what people are going to see in me. And that's the goal. Man, if I'm living my life in such a way that those are the things that are overflowing out of my life, that means something, that means that I've encountered the grace of Jesus and I've embraced his truth and it's changing me. And we talk about that at Crossroads all the time. Grace is God loves you and there is nothing you can do about it. Truth is God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to become more like him. And the way that I do that is I say yes to Jesus every single day. And I think today what we're, we're leaning into is a moment where we can say yes, where we can lay some things down at the feet of Jesus and take one step closer to him. That's, that's the desire of my heart today. We're talking about the royals. We're talking about the kings in the Old Testament as we work our way through the Bible this year. Last week we talked about Saul. He, he never owned who he was. In terms of his identity, he was the Lord's chosen to be the first king of Israel. He was the guy who was head and shoulders above everybody else. He looked great, and he was the guy. Everything outside looked right, but his heart wasn't right. He never owned it. He was always living in fear. He never completely, fully obeyed what God was telling him to do, and it ended in disaster for him. David fought the battle that Saul was supposed to fight, and, and God's anointing passed on to David. Saul missed out because he never leaned into his identity. He was never confident in who he was called to be. So it starts with being confident in your calling, confident in who you are. You are a dearly loved child of God. Own it. Live into that. Never forget who you are. But the next step is you've got to act like it. I know how I am supposed to live. I know the life that God has called me to, and that's got to be the desire of my heart. Because remember, following Jesus, being a disciple, is becoming more like him. It all boils down to obedience. I will do what's right. I don't necessarily do what I want to do. I do what God wants me to do. Because I know that his plan, his purpose for me is better than mine.
It's trusting him. It's saying yes to him. And when it comes to your heart, uh, there's no better person to model that after in the scriptures than David. His literal legacy was he was known as the man after God's own heart. I mean, when you get that, you know, engraved on your tombstone, that marks a life well lived. Honestly, we should all make that the ambition of our lives, that when our time on earth has come to an end, people know us for being a man or a woman after God's own heart. Because that's everything. That's what it's all about. If, if you've earned that title, if that is your legacy, then you, you've lived your life well. And I think a lot of times we underestimate and we undervalue what it means to guard our hearts, to allow our hearts to stay tender to the voice of God, because we have so many other voices drowning out his voice in our culture and in our lives. There are so many things that distract us. Heaven forbid we ever have a moment of silence in our culture, right? It's always something, whether it's the TV that's on, the radio that's on, music in the background, the kids yap, and well, your kids, not my kids. Uh, you know how that goes. <laughs> I've heard stories. I don't know. Uh, there's always something, right? There's always chaos. And there's all these things that distract us from that, that still small voice. And I think that's probably intentional, maybe a little bit subconsciously, because I think all of us are probably holding on at some level to some things in our lives that we know shouldn't be there. And every time we do experience the silence and God begins speaking to us, it can be a little uncomfortable. And I want you to lean into that place of discomfort today. I want you to be a little uncomfortable. Because I think it's in those moments of discomfort that God does some pretty incredible work in our lives. It's, it's in these moments of discomfort that we can take some huge steps forward in our relationship with Jesus. That happened to David. The man who was known as the man after God's own heart. I'll, I'll give you a newsflash. He was not perfect. In fact, he messed up pretty bad. And while David did extraordinary things, it began with him defeating the giant Goliath, fighting the battle that Saul should have been fighting. David went on to be this mighty warrior. He was this amazing musician. It's like he had the best qualities in every category. It's like, who's the best looking? David. Who's the best musician? David. Who's the strongest man in all the land? David. Everybody hated David. I mean, let's be honest. Like, oh, here comes David. He's going to beat me at whatever we're doing. Best player of ping pong, David. He was the guy. Nobody could beat him in anything. He's amazing. But that's not his legacy. He's the man after God's own heart. I think a lot of times we step back and go, oh, man, person known as the man after God's own heart, he was perfect. How can I be that guy? Well, here's the thing. David had a pretty low moment in his life. David made a pretty huge mistake and made it worse by trying to cover it up. And yet we can learn, I think, maybe the most from the life of David in his moment where he reached rock bottom than we can from any other moment in his life. And I want to lean into that for a couple minutes today. Before we do, remember this. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Everything in your heart is, is what guides your actions and thoughts. Out of the overflow of his heart, it says in Scripture, a man speaks. Everything comes from your heart. That's why it's so important that you guard your heart, that it stays tender to the voice of God in your life. Second uh, Samuel 11. Let's talk about David for a second. He's been king for a while now. He's been leading his armies into battle, and they've been triumphant. He's just had wild success. 
But something happens here that uh, is way different than normal. It says in 2 Samuel 11, it says, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, let's stop here for a second. This doesn't seem significant. But honestly, it's that decision that laid the framework for everything that was his downfall. All the kings are going off to war. It's time to go to work. And David says, ah, it's springtime. My allergies are kicking in. I'm going to take a Claritin and stay home today. <laughs> Anybody else in that boat or just me? Just a sidebar. If you live up here in Indiana, it's like, a, hey, spring is here. It's 80 degrees today. And then in that one day, it's like, it's 80. Oh, finally, I see the sun. I haven't seen it for four months. It's fantastic. And I can enjoy that as just a person for about eight minutes. And then I start sneezing terribly. My eyes are itchy. It's like, oh, why? Why? I just, you can't enjoy it. I just, I don't know what to say. Sorry, personal rant over. Okay. (laughs) So it's the springtime. All the kings are going to war. And David says, no, I'm going to skip this one. Joab, I trust you. You go out and do your thing. And so what does that lead to in the life of David? Well, now he's sitting around the palace. He's got nothing to do. It's before television, before Netflix. He's just walking around. He's just trying to figure out what's going on. What do I do? What do I do? I have no idea. And he finds himself in this place of just kind of boredom with time on his hands, and he's just experiencing a time of, of idleness. And, and can I just circle something with you? And I think that relates very well to our situation today. This idea of being idle. There's phrases and quotes from you know, years past that idleness is the devil's playground. When, when you're allowing yourself to be idle and not really do anything productive, that's when bad habits begin to form in our lives. It's somehow just the way that we are wired as humans We're not really going to pick the good thing. We're not going to go out of our way to discipline ourselves and do something good. No, we usually find ourselves, you know, getting into some trouble. I think that's the first mistake that David made. He should have been fighting his battle. Those were his battles, remember? He should have been out at war doing what kings do, but he took a pass. He was being lazy. And idle hands, idle moments are the devil's playground. It says, late one afternoon after his midday rest, that sounds about right, taking a good nap after a long day of doing nothing, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. All right, I see trouble brewing. I've actually been to the Holy Land. I've been to Jerusalem. I've been to David's palace. You can walk out on this massive balcony. It's still there. All these, you know, literally thousands of years later, you can walk out on the back of his, of his palace, and there's this, this beautiful balcony that oversees like a, a ton of homes that are right down the valley away from it. And so you can kind of picture that. Having been there, you just kind of go to the balcony, and you look over, and you realize there's just all these homes, flat roofs in front of you. And it's, you feel like maybe it was an accident, like, oh, Oh, you know, that's David, right? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> but I don't think it was an accident. You know, it's probably just an intentional thing. He's going, oh, what do I see today? Oh, Bathsheba. <laughs> Idle hands, man. It's the devil's playground. And if you think that's just relegated, you know, 2,500 years ago with David on the, the top of his palace looking down, well... Let's think about how idleness is the devil's playground in our world. Are you ready to go there? 
What brings out the worst in people right now in our society? I would just contend right now, no brainer. It's all the comments on social media. That is idleness. I have nothing better to do. Oh, you're stupid. Here's my conspiracy theory. I don't know what to say. I don't know, what do you do there? That's idleness. We treat people so terribly on social media. I hate to admit, I'm just gonna say it. I, I hate to admit this. I'm, I'm actually part of like pastor groups and they're the worst. They're the worst, the pastor groups. Like, what is going on right now? Idle hands. I mean, can we get real? When we sit around at night and all of a sudden we realize we've been watching, you know, Netflix or whatever app you like and whatever service provides you mindless entertainment and you realize, I just wasted six hours filling myself with mindless garbage. Awesome. Time to go to bed. How about this? Can we just get progressively more painful? We're dealing with a whole generation that's rising up that's had unlimited access to pornography. Just go there. Talk about idleness, creating habits that are the devil's playground. This is the same trap that David fell into. He looks out and he sees Bathsheba, unusual beauty, taking a bath. So what does he do? He just makes a bad situation worse. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. I mean, he takes a bad situation and he makes it worse. You guys, whoa, 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 this is the man after God's own heart. What are we talking about here? It's important that we lean into this because David, the man after God's own heart, recognizes now he was not perfect. Nobody is perfect. Everybody struggles with a hurt, with a habit, with a hang-up. Know that about ourselves. I think we have an incredible ministry here at Crossroads called Crossroads Recovery. Can anybody give it up for Crossroads Recovery? It is changing lives. It is frontline ministry. It's helping meet people where they are at. And I think a lot of times the misconception with Crossroads Recovery is like, oh, that's for those people that have real bad problems. Well, I got news for you. We've all got problems. We all have hurts. We all have habits. We all have hangups. And to, to get real victory over those, I'm a big believer in accountability and encouragement and vulnerability, just being honest. That's how you get victory over those kinds of things. And that's what Crossroads Recovery is. One more round of applause for that because it's changing lives. It's changing lives. So here's David. He's making a terrible mistake. He's chosen not to go to war. He's found himself in a place where idleness is, is overwhelming him. It's the devil's playground. And he's not where he intended to be. This is not his character. This is not who he wants to be. He's making a terrible mistake. And to compound it, uh, it gets worse. It says later when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. And so all of a sudden, David's going, oh, I got a problem here. And then he goes into cover-up mode because, guys, the sin, it will always find you out. It will always catch up to you. We always think we can control it. Oh, I'm fine. It always catches up to us. It always takes us farther than we ever wanted to go. And I don't know why we have to learn that over and over and over again. I hate seeing people who it seems like they've hit rock bottom. They're like, hey, will you just say yes to Jesus? And they're so close, and they say, no, I'm not ready. And then they hit a new low rock bottom. It's like, please say yes to Jesus. No, I'm not ready. Another rock bottom. It's like, how low do you have to go? Like, come on now. 
say yes to Jesus, it's, it's never going to be easier to turn away from whatever it is that's bringing you down than, than right now. Because the longer you allow that bad habit to grow a stronghold, to build roots in your life, the harder it's going to be to uproot that. It's never going to be easier to turn away from that, to say yes to Jesus, than it is right now. Right now. I just want to challenge you. I mean, we're not even, I got a few more minutes to go. I apologize. But here's the thing. If, if God's speaking to you and you know that there's something in your life that you need to just repent of, ask for forgiveness. God, I can't have this in my life anymore. It's never going to be easier to make that decision than right now. It doesn't get easier. I just want to challenge you today. If, if you're hearing the voice of God in your life, don't harden your hearts to that voice. Guys, say yes to Jesus. Choose to obey. That's what following him looks like. That's how you live life to the fullest. And so what you see here with, with David is the, the conflict. It's a heart that is in trouble. He's made a terrible decision, and he makes it worse. Guys, this is the man after God's own heart. He slept with this woman he had no business sleeping with. He, he knows she's married, so he brings his, her husband back from battle and says, Uriah, you're doing a great job. How's everything going? We're doing great, King David. Now, great report. Uriah, before you go back, go home and, and be with your wife. Have a date night, and then go back out. And Uriah was such a good man that he said, how could I possibly leave my fellow soldiers in battle and go home and enjoy you know, being with my wife for the evening. No, no, I got to get back out there and go to battle. I mean, this guy was an honorable man. David did everything he could to cover that up and it didn't work. And finally, he sends a message through Uriah to Joab, the commander of the army, saying, hey, I can't have this guy coming home. Make sure he's at the front of the line in the heat of the battle. Make sure he doesn't make it back. And sure enough, that's what Joab does. Uriah dies in battle. And then David takes Bathsheba to be his wife. It's just it's a terrible, terrible story. You don't see that. I don't even think there's like any, you know, romance movie on Netflix that has that kind of a storyline. Maybe, I don't know much about them, but I haven't seen that one. So this is a bad situation. And you go back to the reality, like, wait, David is the man after God's own heart? What kind of a person is this? That doesn't match up at all. You've got conflict. You have a heart that is in trouble. But it's, it's how you respond in those moments when you mess up that changes everything. Because what you see is there's a confrontation. And this is where your heart is threatened because it catches up to you. You begin to bottom out. You hit rock bottom. The, the sin finds you out. And then you've got to deal with the confrontation because you are always going to be confronted. If not by someone else in, in your life, you're going to be confronted by the Holy Spirit. God is going to start speaking to you. And the confrontation, it just, it reveals a heart that is threatened. How do you respond when you get called out on the things in your life that you know should not be there? Are you going to harden your heart to the things of God or are you going to allow your heart to remain tender? This is an amazing story. It says the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. He said, David, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. I don't have time to go in the weird relationship that this guy had with this lamb. We're going to keep moving on. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. Like, what? So David was furious. He said, as surely as the Lord lives, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. 
You are that man. And that's when David realizes, oh man, I made a terrible decision back here. I thought I got away, got away with it. thought everything was fine. But, but no, it, it's caught up with me. It's the confrontation. And the only way to resolve conflict, the heart that's in trouble, is to face that moment of confrontation. Confrontation, is as difficult as that can be, as much as we try to avoid conflict and confrontation in our lives, the confrontation is actually what resolves the conflict. Nathan's saying, you have made a terrible decision. You have sinned greatly against these people and against God. And now is the moment to see what David is really made of. This is the moment where his character actually comes through. Because how do you respond in that moment? There are other people in Scripture who in that moment, they would kill the messenger, right? Nathan, I don't, wanna, I don't like what you're saying. Now he would be put to death. King David has the power to do whatever he wants in this situation. It's how he responds that makes all the difference in the world. And yet, it's in this moment that leads David to immediate confession, because his heart's been in conflict. He knew what he had done was wrong. He knew it was terrible. He wasn't at peace in that moment. He had messed up big time. But it took that confrontation. It took that confrontation from Nathan saying, hey, you, you are this man that has messed up terribly. You've done a wicked, evil thing. How are you going to respond, David? Because God is watching you. We are all watching you. And David immediately responds by saying this. He confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And this is a beautiful moment of confession because it signifies a heart that is tender. And that's what separates David from many, many people in God's story that we see in Scripture. His heart was always tender to the things of God. Up to that point, you don't really see a single mistake that David had made in his life. Idle hands, the devil's playground. He finds himself doing something he never thought in a million years that he would end up doing. He's made this terrible choice. He's living with the consequences. He's feeling the guilt. He's feeling the shame. He's trying to act like everything's okay, but it's killing him inside. And at the first moment of confrontation, when God speaks to him, because he was truly the man after God's own heart, it was immediate confession. I cannot live this way anymore. God, forgive me. And it is a beautiful moment of forgiveness because God forgives David. I mean, it's, it's a huge moment for David and his relationship with God. Now, there's consequences. We don't have time to go into all the consequences, but you have to deal with the consequences of your choices. That's a fact. But know this today. No matter what you've done, God offers forgiveness. God offers freedom. What an amazing promise in Scripture 1 John 1, 9, which is one of the most famous verses in the Bible, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins. He will cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. As, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he takes that away from us. You don't have to keep carrying that around with you. You don't have to say, that's who I am. I'm this failure that could never make it. No, God forgives. God sets us free. And it's all dependent on our heart. Am I willing to have that heart of confession? God, this, this can't be in my life anymore. That act of repentance, I'm, God, I'm going to turn away from what I've been doing and I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to follow the plan that you have for my life. That, that's where it's at. You can see this beautiful picture in, in the heart of David. And remember, the heart is what matters more than anything to God. 
That's why you've got to do your best to guard your heart. You see in Psalm 51, this is David writing about this moment in his life. You see his cry out to God. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. And these words are beautiful in verse 10 through 12. Can, can you just lean into this? He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. And that's what it's all about. It's me being willing to be obedient to what it is that God is calling me to do. And I want to challenge you today that, man, if, if God's speaking to you in this moment, don't harden your hearts to his voice today. might be a really uncomfortable moment where you're, you're holding on to some stuff that you know should not be in your life. That's between you and God. Only you know what that is. But you need to confess it. You need to lay it down at the feet of Jesus. You need to let him forgive you. You need to let him set you free. Remember who you are. You are dearly and deeply loved by God. He doesn't know you as your worst sin or your greatest fear. He knows you as his child. And sometimes we feel like we've been holding on to this stuff for so long or we've done things that are so terrible that there's no way that I could experience the fullness of that love. And I'm telling you right now that when you confess that sin, he's faithful, he's just, he forgives it. And he cleanses you from all of that dirt, all of that filth. It's gone. And you can rise up as a child of God and walk in freedom, knowing that you've been forgiven. And I want you to experience that today. And again, no matter where you are, I'm, I'm asking you crossroads. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? Would you just lean in and draw close to Jesus? I, not listening to my words, listening to what Jesus is speaking into your heart right now. I'm not going to ask for details. I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to have you blurt out your deepest, dark, darkest secret out loud. But what I am going to ask you to do is where you're seated, would you just say, God's speaking to me? There's something I need to lay down at his feet today. I'm, I'm confessing something to Jesus right now. Is anybody willing to raise their hand and say, that's me? I'm confessing some things to Jesus. I'm laying it down. And I... I see hands all over the place. I'm asking right now that the prayer of all of our hearts would be this prayer of David. And I'm just going to pray it over you as we close today. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. No, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Crossroads, if that's the cry of your heart today, I want you to know that God honors that. He forgives. He sets us free. And there is nothing better than walking in that freedom. And so I encourage you to embrace that today. Embrace the love that Jesus has for you. And as we come to a close today, would you mind just standing where you're at? Because, man, there's a journey that, that begins, that changes everything when you say yes to Jesus. And I can't leave today without offering this to someone who's here who might have never had the chance to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. 
your heart's been racing and you're wondering what this is all about and you need to just seek the face of Jesus for the first time, that you need to experience forgiveness. If that's you and your heart's racing, I invite you to say this prayer with all of us. Can we say this prayer together? Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the Savior of the world, that you gave your life to forgive my sins, and that God raised you from the grave so that I could have eternal life. Thank you for loving me. I am saying yes to you, Jesus. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. And can we give him praise? Give him, give him glory because there's no one like him. He forgives us and he sets us free. And listen. I'm going to ask you two things before we leave today. If you said yes to Jesus for the first time today, please come talk to us. I got Stu standing right here. I got Michelle standing over here. I'm going to say this. If God's been speaking to you and you just need to talk to somebody, Stu is right up here. Michelle's up here. I'm going to hang out at the front. If you need somebody to pray for you, to help you take a next step, we're here to help you take this journey together because we believe that God loves every single one of us and there's nothing we can do about it. And as you leave today, Crossroads, I want you to go in the grace and peace of Jesus. I want you to leave with your head held high as a child of God. And I want you to know more than anything else that you are loved. So let's leave being light in the darkness, connecting as many people to Jesus as we can. And uh, we'll see you next week. Let's do this again. You are loved and you are dismissed.